It's Wednesday, April 17th, and this is TikTok. A big hello to all of our listeners. I'm Andrew Mock, and this is your TikTok podcast with all the global news you need to know. Today, we're talking about a controversial move by President Trump involving the decades-old trade embargo on Cuba. In a major shift, the Trump administration is set to reverse more than two decades of U.S. policy and will allow lawsuits against foreign companies that are doing business on property seized from Americans since Fidel Castro's revolution six decades ago. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made the announcement today. Sadly, Cuba's most prominent export these days is not cigars or rum. It's oppression. Detente with the regime has failed. Cozing up to Cuban dictators will always be a black mark on this great nation's long record of defending human rights. Joining me now to unpack this story is Nick Wadhams. He's a State Department reporter for Bloomberg News in Washington. Nick, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So to start, can you put this move into perspective? We're talking about breaking with 23 years of U.S. policy. How big of a deal is it? This is a pretty big deal in terms of the Trump administration's effort to uh, corner Cuba and really unwind a lot of the loosening of a trade embargo that the Obama administration uh, had done over its eight years in office. And so what they're doing here is for the first time in more than 20 years, basically saying, you know, if you were a foreign uh, entity, a foreign company that does business in Cuba, and you're involved in something that relates in any way to property that was confiscated during the uh, Cuban Revolution in 1959, uh, you could face uh, sanction or a lawsuit. So um, it's really something that could sort of scare people away from doing business in Cuba. And I would imagine in the 20-some years that this law has been waived or, or this title of a law has been waived, there must be some businesses who may not know that they're actually operating on seized property. That's right. I mean, most interestingly, some of the biggest claims are owned by U.S. companies. Um, Office Max, uh, in a sort of bizarre twist, has a hold uh, on um, uh, an asset worth about $250 million. Um, Coca-Cola, Exxon. Uh, But then there's this whole other class of claims that could be filed by individual citizens who had to give up small plots of land or paintings or cars or whatever it might be when they fled Cuba. And uh, while there are about 6,000 certified claims, so the U.S. government has certified that 6,000 companies and people have valid claims to specific assets, the U.S. government says there are actually about 200,000 possible claims that could be made by U.S. citizens who look to file lawsuits. You mentioned companies like Office Max and Coca-Cola. Does this shift have the potential to actually harm Americans and American businesses? It could. I mean, you know, there are a lot of really interesting dynamics at play here. So one is that the, the U.S. says that uh, there will be no exemptions. So any U.S. company that came in, particularly after the loosening of the of the trade embargo, uh, could uh, potentially uh, suffer some legal ramification. I mean, it'll take years for those lawsuits to unfold. But, you know, the bigger question is, you know, say Coca-Cola or Exxon has a claim in Cuba, uh, and and wants to file a lawsuit well the the companies that might be impacted by that lawsuit could be exxon's own clients the way this is really being seen now i think is that it's an attempt by the trump administration essentially to scare businesses away to say hey listen do we want to take that risk that some uh, business deal we're doing or that we have done in cuba could 
run up against one of these claims. It seems like there's maybe an elephant in the room we're not quite addressing. What's the real root uh, of the Trump administration's policy shift here? They want to strangle the Cuban economy. They feel that Cuba is a, a human rights abuser that, as Secretary Pompeo said today, exports oppression more than it does Cuban cigars and rum. It also fits into a broader policy shift by this administration to get much more tough on Venezuela and the the regime of President Nicolas Maduro, uh, who they argue is getting a ton of support from Cuba. And and they say, in fact, Maduro's regime is basically being propped up by Cuba. And is that really true that Cuba is propping up Venezuela at the moment. I mean, we know countries like China and Russia, these bigger economies, are also in support of Maduro. So is Cuba really the key here? I I think it is an important player, and it has supplied crucial political and and military uh, support to the Maduro regime. So it it is a factor. Clearly, uh, countries like China, which is buying a ton of uh, Venezuelan oil and also um, lending Venezuela a lot of money um, play a very, very large role. But but that link between Cuba and Venezuela is pretty strong and established. Now, whether or not that means the Maduro regime would fall if Cuban support were entirely revoked uh, is an entirely different question. Obviously, there are plenty of other countries who side with the U.S. in in supporting Juan Guaido over Nicolas Maduro. At the same time, those same countries are the ones who would be harmed by this. Does the U.S. risk losing allies in this fight simply for this policy move alone? It's a great question because what you've seen is traditional U.S. allies really getting in more and more uh, fights with the United States uh, under the Trump administration over a whole range of issues. They remain U.S. allies, but they have very strong disagreements. So this adds to that list. The big question that I want to answer is, when? what are you going to see with companies that have business there now? Are they immediately going to pick up stakes and, and leave? Uh, the European Union has said that it would um, potentially try to litigate this at the World Trade Organization. It also has blocking statutes where uh, it can fight back and give legal protection to some of these companies that do business there. It'll be interesting to see whether companies uh, choose to follow what the EU is telling them, which is don't leave, you will be protected. You'll start to see some of those lawsuits uh, come out in, in the coming months and years, but they could be big ones, you know, multi-million dollar claims from companies, but they could also be tiny ones, you know, a a family that had to abandon its house, and that house is now part of a sugar plantation. Um, Whatever it may be, those those will work through the system. But the real test for now will be, you know, what happens to these hotel operators, for example? Will they just say, you know what, uh, we we do have some legal exposure, it's just not worth it, and we're going to leave. All right. All very good to know. Nick Wadhams, Bloomberg News State Department reporter in Washington. Thanks for speaking with me today. My pleasure. Turning now to other news of the day, here's what's happening. The former president of Peru, Alan Garcia, died in Lima today after shooting himself in the head. Garcia's lawyer said the 69-year-old killed himself when prosecutors and police attempted to search his home and arrest him. He was taken to a nearby hospital early this morning and medics tried to resuscitate him. He was one of many top officials in South America who had been swept up in a corruption scandal and was under investigation on suspicion of taking a bribe from the Brazilian construction company Odebrecht. 
Garcia served as president from 1985 to 1990, and again from 2006 to 2011. In Paris, the focus on the fire that ripped through Notre Dame Cathedral this week is now on the intense investigation to find out what caused it. Officials say Notre Dame staff couldn't find the fire for the first 23 minutes after the first alarm went off at 6.20 p.m. in Paris. The church organist Johann Vexo was inside. The fire alarm rang, but nobody knew exactly what it was because it was the first time that we heard it inside the cathedral. Staff evacuated visitors and searched for the fire, but it wasn't until a second alarm went off at 6.43 p.m. that it was found in the cathedral's attic. Those 23 minutes were crucial for the spread of the catastrophic fire, which destroyed the church's roof and its spire. Prosecutors say they still believe the fire started by accident. And finally... The 18-year-old woman from Florida who made threats and was, quote, infatuated with the Columbine High School shooting was found dead today. The woman named Sol Pais was a high school student in Miami Beach who traveled to Denver on Monday and immediately went to a store and bought a shotgun and ammunition. Schools around Denver closed Wednesday as police tried to track her down after she made credible but unspecific threats to the community. FBI officials confirmed her death at a news conference today. I'd like to... First address the breaking news on this issue by saying that we are relieved that the threat to our schools and community is no longer present. And I want to express deep gratitude to our partners in law enforcement, especially the Jeffco Sheriff's Office, for your vigilance in serving as guardians for the community's children. This Saturday marks the 20th anniversary of the Columbine High School shooting in which two students killed 12 classmates and a teacher. That's your TikTok update for Wednesday. You can learn more about all of these stories everywhere we are. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check us out on Instagram at TikTok. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Mock, and be sure to download the TikTok podcast every day for all the global news you need to know.